You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review Senior Editor Daniel Horowitz. Using pure common sense and ignoring the groupthink, Daniel breaks down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering the Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience. This is your groupthink free zone here at Conservative Review, operated through our buddies at Westwood One Network, an honor to be with them in the year of 2018. It is now late Thursday. April 19th, and yes, I am working late today because we got a special guest we're going to bring on the show. Uh, there is so much going on this week, my head is exploding. Um, just first, a side note, I did tape a full hour of Mark Levin's new Fox News show uh, with Charlie Kirk, a college student activist. We will be on Sunday night at 10 p.m. for the full hour. Hour You definitely don't want to miss that. Um, look, I complain about Fox News a lot in some of their coverage, but at least they gave Mark Levin a platform. So you'll see my lovely face for radio on his show. Um, as far as some of the other issues, I'm not going to have time to get to this week, but read all my articles from this week. If you don't know where to find me, just Google conservative review, Daniel Horowitz, uh, you know, just all the information on the balanced budget amendment, what a sham vote it was, my latest two installments on the drug overdose crisis and exposing the truth about it, what caused it. This week, I dealt with the Medicaid expansion and its amalgamation with the border crisis and how the two go together. You 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 definitely don't want to miss that. A lot more coming. But this week, what was the biggest focus many of you probably heard when it comes to committee hearings? It was the Zuckerberg hearings, you know, the GOP kind of making a fool of themselves, going after Facebook. And it's really a dead end. And by the way, I talk about that a little bit with Mark Levin. There was a lesser known hearing about a very important topic that's not getting enough attention, at least not in a general sense in the way it should. And that is the border crisis. My buddy Ron DeSantis, who's the chairman of the OGR subcommittee on national security, held a hearing about the nature of the border surge and what's going on. And if you really look at what's happening now, after the Trump effect, you know, just the perception that Trump was going to be tough on the border really, really changed the dynamic. And border crossings, at least the interdictions, we never know who crosses, but the interdictions plummeted to just near record lows last April. And then as we started talking about more DACA, even the president, unfortunately, was emoting about the, the need to be compassionate, bring kids over. As you well know, that is the biggest magnet for bringing over not just more illegal immigrants to get amnesty, but that creates the circuitous cycle of drug smuggling. And they actually use younger individuals that they know the government's going to be more lenient on them. That is your opioid crisis, as we spoke about for a number of weeks already. That is why you had the spike. And I don't just mean a spike. I mean a cataclysmic skyrocketing, 400, 600% increases in heroin, fentanyl um, deaths, and then uh, even methamphetamine and some other non-opioid drugs, which, by the way, it's not an opioid crisis. It's a general illicit drug crisis. Uh, 
you know, problematic culture mixed with an insane supply that makes it very cheap and pure, that's your crisis right there that government refuses to recognize. Are we on the cusp of another surge reminiscent of what we saw in 2014, 2015, because of the promise of amnesty. So rather than hearing from me again on this issue, many of you, you know, you pretty much hear me every week on this issue. I wanted to bring on a guest that I've been dreaming of having on for a long time, and he testified at this hearing today. Brandon Judd is the president of the Border Patrol Council Public Sector Union, but very different than a typical public sector union you hear about. They care deeply about the mission, not just milking taxpayers for more free stuff like you hear from other unions. Um, they deeply care about the morale and the mission of national security, national sovereignty. He's been president for you know a long time. He's been a Border Patrol agent for about 20 years, uh, just patrolled pretty much everywhere, Arizona, as well as uh, the Canadian border, also taught at the Border Patrol School, um, served in many different capacities. And even though it's a busy day running around at committee hearings, we have the honor of welcoming Brandon Judd to the conservative conscience. Hey, Brandon, are you on the line? Well, I'm I'm like a king. That was uh, that was quite the intro. I, I appreciate <laughs> that. But, you know, in, in, in all honesty, the attention that you're bringing to this issue is very appreciated. Uh, the Border Patrol agents appreciate it. Uh, they especially appreciate it because uh, the more attention that this issue garners, the, the more chance we have of fixing it. And just so that you know, um, you know, you've been harping on this opioid crisis, this, this illicit drug crisis that we have, and it is a crisis. Um, and I've been a canine handler as well. And so I've been in the thick of that battle. And I can tell you, you know, your, your opening question was, are we on the cusp of another explosion? And yes, we are. I mean, that's, that's just, that's just simply put, we are on the cusp. And if we don't do something, we're going to have, uh, you know, a, a whole bunch more deaths than what we already have, which is, too many as it is. You know, I, I didn't know where to begin with you because I like have five years worth of stuff. But maybe we'll start from from just the drug in and work backwards. What I was wondering for a long time is, you know, watching the members of Congress, there's over a hundred pieces of legislation dealing with the opioid crisis. Everyone wants to look like they're righteous on it. Uh, there are literally there are about ten congressional hearings in the House and Senate this week. And 99% of the discussion is about doctors. And what's remarkable is two things. Number one, the prescription, the number of prescriptions has plummeted for better or for worse, different opinions in the healthcare field, plummeted for eight years already, down to 2002 levels. The deaths have leveled off and have gone down, although among the Medicaid population, it's gone up a little bit because of Medicaid expansion. It's a different story. Um, we've done everything we can on that side. The entirety of the baseline increase, when you talk about an epidemic, you mean 2013 and onwards, really 2014, 2015, 2016, the big numbers, and then the advent of fentanyl. I didn't know much about this issue until a couple months ago, and I started looking at these charts you know, because I don't know the healthcare side of it that well, but I do follow the border side, and I said, wait a minute. What happened in 2013? Yeah, we've always had a drug crisis. We always will. I, mean, I would say crisis. We we always have drug consumption, especially with you know the the cultural problems we have, the you know the depression and everything. But what in the world happened circa 2013 to 2015 
to bring in this unimaginable ubiquitous supply. Could you walk us backwards based on what you saw as a Border Patrol agent during the second term of Obama as he suspended and dismantled both interior and exterior enforcement, what that did on the drug side of things? Yeah, so so what happened was President Obama started um, the, the catch and release program which is a program where people cross the border illegally. We take them into custody, we process them, and then we release them without seeing a deportation judge. They, they then disappear into the shadows. This has been going on since the Clinton administration. It went on through the Bush administration, but it, it was never seen at the levels as what President Obama implemented. And so what happened was, was the criminal cartels were able to exploit the gaps in our coverage. They took all of these people that claimed that they were seeking asylum. They had them cross the border illegally. We then took them into custody. We, we focused all of our resources to go take these very large groups into custody, sometimes in excess of 100 people at a time. We would then take them back to our stations. We would process them. What that did was that took a lot of our manpower out of the field, and the car- criminal cartels were able to create the gaps in the border, and they were able to walk their fentanyl, they were able to walk their opioids, um, heroin, cocaine, right behind us in the gaps that they created themselves. And we never addressed the issue. So when you see all of these congressional hearings, and they're focusing on doctors, they're doing it because that's not a political issue. The border is a political issue. (laughs) But if you really want to fix the crisis, you have to address the border because that's where these drugs are coming coming across from. I've been dreaming of asking someone with authority this question for ages. You know, a lot of my more libertarian friends tell me, oh, Daniel, come on. A war on drugs never works. It never works. Now, first of all, obviously, I think we've been saying war on drugs never works for 20 years. I think we would die to go back to the time we were saying it didn't work pre-2013 levels. I mean, that would be amazing if we could get it back to that. Uh, There was nothing natural about what happened, but – you know, they say, well, it will just come, you put a fence and more, you know, more aggressive border patrol and less politically correct tactics and, and catch and release and some of the judicial amnesties we have with the problems with the Ninth Circuit um, and the UAC loophole and all this stuff. Fine, but they're going to get it through the points of entry. What could you tell us from your experience being in the canine unit inspecting at the points of entry? as to how much they could really get in if it would only be the points of entry. If we were able to focus all of our resources at the ports of entry, they wouldn't get anything across. you got to remember, at the ports of entry, you have no rights. Um, you're entering a country, you're asking for an inspection, which takes away all your money. I can go through your car, I can run my canine through your car, I can... Um, look under the seats, I can do anything that I want at that port of entry in your vehicle. You will not get your product across if I could focus all my resources there. But the criminal cartels have made it to where we have to focus our resources between the ports of entry, which makes it a lot easier for them to get their products across. Wow. And the other thing I've been noticing also is that, you know, suddenly – even the media is noticing an epidemic of MS-13. 
Now, they don't connect the dots to 2013 to 2015 when everyone came in. The UACs, we all said were children, but really prime recruiting age. But I've learned something that I didn't know, and I'm curious your experience with this. Uh, also, in the Texas Department of Public Safety testimony, but I've read some of their other reports saying that it used to be that the cartels and the gangs were kind of separate territory. They had their own purviews. The gangs operated in America um, for their turf, and the drug cartels had their rationale for existence. But starting around maybe a decade ago, there was a symbiotic relationship where the gangs then became – the distributors in the interior of our country for their drugs. And, you know, they send it, send the money back south, the drugs come north. And again, to me, if we're pulling our hair out, why did people start dropping like flies in this country, overdosing on drugs, circa the same time we had an MS-13 crisis? Aren't the two now related? They are related. What, what happened was the gangs became the footmen of the criminal cartels. So the criminal cartels, their bottom line, their profits are all predicated upon getting their, their products across the southwest border. Once they get their products into the United States, they now have to distribute them to all of the major locations, such as Atlanta, Boston, New York, um, even Minneapolis. But throughout the United States, it's not just going to those major cities. It's also going to Des Moines, Iowa. You know, it's going throughout the entire United States. But they had to have a distribution um, center, if you will, and that distribution became became MS-13 and the other smaller gangs that they could then control, and they do. They currently control these gangs. And again, it all goes right back to we failed to secure the border. We failed to enforce our laws. Because it was such a political hotbed, because the Democrats wanted to make this an issue of asylum, and they didn't want us to secure our border, and they said that we were racist, and they said that we didn't like people, and we were xenophobes, and all of these other things, they allowed this to happen, and now we're feeling the, the pinch, if you will, of, of all of the bad decisions that were made, and we're trying to correct those bad decisions. The problem is is we don't have enough Republicans that are willing to stand up and say, enough's enough, we need to get behind this current president. If we did have those Republicans, that they have control of the Senate, they have control of the House, they would be able to pass the laws that they need to get passed. But we just don't have that political will because there are too many people that are so worried about public uh, perception of xenophobia, racism, and, and every other word that you want to call somebody that wants to secure the border. We've got to get over that. We've got to realize this is a serious problem. And once we do, we will, in fact, secure the border. And it's surreal watching everyone try to you know be more compassionate than the next on the what they call the opioid crisis. And you're, we're talking about tens of thousands of people dying from it. I mean, it's, it's really bad. And... It's amazing that the focus is always in a vacuum on just the people who come across the border to so, you know, supposedly seek a better life, but not the effect on the tens of thousands of Americans who die from the drugs and the tens of thousands of Mexicans left behind who die from the violence. I see a, a figure 29,000 died in 2017 alone, but the, the violence really spiked, da-da-da-da. 
2012-2013, around that that time. So isn't it true that when, when people want to be compassionate and say, well, maybe there's some that I, I really want to give them amnesty because they're coming for a better life, and, and inevitably some are. But isn't it true that even the so-called good ones, by definition, you don't wake up one day and say, hey, I want to seek a better life in America, go across – don't you have to pay a smuggler and ultimately the profits of any open border, even the better people, go to the cartels and empower them? Nobody crosses the border illegally without paying the criminal cartels. The mm-hmm. criminal cartels control everything that happens both north and south of the border. Anybody that crosses the border illegally must do it with their permission, and the only way you get their permission is by paying them. So, yes, all of these individuals that are coming here for a better life, um, which there are some, but that's the that's the minority. I mean, that that is it's such a small group of people that would actually uh, meet the asylum guidelines, and and they know this, but they're recruiting these criminal cartels. They go into countries like Honduras, they go into Guatemala, and they tell them, look, pay me, I'll get you to the border, I'll tell you what you need to say, and then the American government will release you, because again, it's too much of a political hotbed, and instead of saying, we need to secure the border, we're going to allow thousands of American citizens to die under this opioid crisis because we just frankly failed to do what we need to do under the rule of law. Now, I've been told by former Border Patrol agents, retired agents, that no organized crime, you know, that's not just random undercover, but, you know, that blatant could succeed if there aren't politicians on both sides of the border that want it. That, that for whatever reason wanted to succeed. We're often told there's no way to stop the drugs and there's no way to stop a demand for people who want to come. The, you know, you hear that a lot of these hearings. The only way is to have like, you know, five, 10 million legal immigrants, meaning have a very liberal legal immigrant system. Otherwise, they're just going to come here. We cannot secure our border. Well, I, I, don't, I don't believe for one moment that Chuck Schumer has the best interest of the country <laughs> at heart. Chuck Schumer has the best interest of himself at heart. Most of our politicians, all they care about is their reelection. They do not care about what's best for the country. Um, how do we make the citizens of our country better? They care about their bottom line. They care about their reelection. And so they pander to their constituency instead of what's best for everybody else. If we had the political will, if we had, and frankly, I think that the way we, we fix that is through term limits, but that's just my opinion. Sure. But if we had the political will, if we had people in there that actually had a conscience, they cared about the country more about themselves, we would be able to get these things done. We would be able to fix these problems, and we wouldn't be playing politics games, you know, day in and day out. You know, I'm curious what you think about this, if this sounds too kooky. You know, everyone and their grandmother is all into getting our soldiers involved in every single Sunni Shia tribal civil war in the Middle East. And it's very, you know, you sound very smart and appropriate by suggesting that. But if someone were to suggest a military operation in Mexico, you'd say, you're not Daniel. I'm curious from your vantage point as a longtime serving Border Patrol agent, um, you know, we have the National Guard being sent there as kind of a supportive role. Do you think that the Border Patrol, 
you know, if you got rid of the PC, you gave them the resources, you got rid of the legal loopholes, the courts, that's enough? Or do you think that, you know, Barring political considerations, there sh- there would be a rationale for some sort of military operation to take care of the drug cartels. Um, it's actually not unprecedented. We did it in Colombia. Border Patrol operated in Colombia. The United States mm. Border Patrol um, had operations in Colombia. The United States military had operations in Colombia. We knew that the Colombian government was so corrupt that they were in cahoots with the, um, with the criminal cartels, that they were producing the cocaine, that they were, that they were shipping the cocaine up into the United States. Uh, we had a cocaine epidemic in, in the 1980s. And so we tackled the issue head on and we sent our military into Colombia. We sent our border patrol um, to support our military in Colombia. So yeah, it can happen and it worked. It was, it was absolutely 100% successful. I, I don't, don't hear from hear. FARC anymore. Exactly. We don't hear. We don't hear the problems that we had in Colombia in in the 1980s. Um, It's absolutely something that we could consider. What I will tell you first is we have to give the resources right now in this country. And once we give those resources, if if that doesn't work, then yes, we should consider um, we should consider all options, especially those options that have worked in the past which could include um, sending our military in and targeting these criminal cartels in the countries where they're sending the opioids from. You know, one thing I hear from a lot of the Democrats at, at these hearings, there's a talking point that, what do you want? We've already tripled the size of the Border Patrol. What are you actually seeing in terms of manpower um, based on the, you know, the increased funding we've had over the last 10 years or so? And and just kind of speak to that talking point. Uh, so you, you can increase the border patrol as much as you want, but if you don't put the if you don't allocate the resources or the badges and put them on the border like you need to, um, it doesn't matter how, whether you triple it, quadruple it, or or make it ten times larger. The other thing is, is if you don't support um, the operations and the increase in size of, of the border patrol with the laws that will then back it up. You've done absolutely nothing. If people can still come over here and uh, use the loopholes in the laws to be let go, then you've done nothing. So you, you have, it's, it's got to be twofold. You have to look at and you have to say, okay, we need X number of border patrol agents to control this huge border. It's 2,000 miles. But we also need the laws to support the border patrol. If you have those two things, I know that the border could be secure. And we wouldn't have to talk about this. Um, this issue year after year. You know, one of the things uh, that I learned from your testimony, this really surprised me. You talked about the McAllen Border Patrol Station, which is in the Rio Grande sector. That that's that was the busiest area during the UAC crisis or the supposed UAC crisis driven by DACA. Um, that even though there's 700 agents assigned, that in any given time, there's really not more than 50 50 agents in that busy, busy corridor patrolling. What's the deal with that? What's behind that? If there's anything that should upset your listeners, it should be that. What you have, again, we talk about politicians and politicians only caring about their reelection. Well, career employees in the federal government, all they care about is their next promotion. So what they do is they, is they create what we call these kingdoms. 
They create their departments. So if you're the head of the public information department, your next promotion is going to be based upon the complexity of your department. So the more people that you pull into your department, the more complex you can make it and the better chances you have of getting another promotion. So what happens is, is all of these kingdom builders, they pull our resources off of the actual border. They put them into their departments to try to increase the complexity to get their next promotion. We should never have only 50 agents in, our, in the busiest station in the entire country that, that has 400 people that show up to work per day. There's 700 agents that are assigned there, but 400 show up to work per day because of annual leave, sick leave, and days off. Remember, we're uniform, so we run, we run Sunday to Sunday. Um, but with 400 people showing up to work, only putting 50 people to actually patrol the border, that is unconscionable, it's ridiculous, and it should never be allowed. And And frankly... That's where we need your listeners to be writing and screaming um, at your congressmen to tell them this has got to change. If it does change, then all we need, then we have the resources um, to secure the border. Now all we'll need is the laws to uh, to support those resources. You, you know, as a conservative audience, what we see on every issue, whether it's national security or um, domestic is that most things seem not to be a, re- uh, a monetary problem. You know, the left is always into throwing money at an issue. They, they they never mind, even for military spending more money, they're willing to do it. It's a policy problem, not, not, not usually a spending problem. So is that what you're saying here with the Border Patrol, that officially they, they keep throwing more money at DHS broadly, maybe um, CBP as well, um, and have officially increased what we call the size of the Border Patrol um, you know, maybe from less than 10,000 people, what is it now, 17,000 or so, but you're saying they're not on the border or patrolling. No, no, they're not. They're not on the border patrolling. They're, they're doing administrative jobs, again, building the kingdom of that manager that wants a promotion instead of wanting what's best for the country. We continue to say that we need technology. We continue to say that we need to spend a billion dollars in a smart or, um, wall <laughs> system. We say that we need a billion dollars for radars to detect the people that are crossing the border. That's not what we need. We need our agents to be on the border, patrolling the border, um, which then allows us to go after the profits of the cartels. If we can target the bottom line of the, of, of the car, the bottom line of uh, this business structure, we can get rid of the cartels. And, and again, it's, I'm, I'm going to say this over and over and over again. Then we can secure the border, and we don't have to talk about it anymore. You, you know, you, you just – gosh, there's so much to talk about here. You mentioned about stopping the profits of the cartel. So I've read before that a big part of the leverage is you know, not just going after the drugs going north, but the money coming back south, presumably on the highways just through cars. Do you feel that there's a way that that could be targeted more than it's currently being pursued? It, it can. That, that, that gets targeted at the ports of entry. you got to remember that, that the drugs coming north into the United States are going to cross the border illegally. The money going back south into Mexico are going to go back through the ports of entry. And that's where if we have what we call outbound checks or we're checking vehicles in the United States that are going into Mexico instead of just checking vehicles that are coming from Mexico into the United States, we could then target um, – the, the money that's going back into Mexico. And again, 
go after the bottom line of any business, and this is business, it's a multi-billion dollar industry per year, if you go after the bottom line of any business, you put them into bankruptcy, you put them out of business, and then, again, then we secure the border. Yep, and and you know I read from the DEA threat assessment uh, report last year that the size of the poppy fields tripled from 2013 to 2016. That's not a, that timing is right up the alley of when uh, you know the amnesty agenda. So when they talk about being compassionate in DACA, um, you know, picture ten tens of thousands of people's children dropping from you know heroin laced fentanyl and things like that. And you know you know it's funny as you're talking that the theme I get from you and the frustration is that. What should be universal? What should be, you know, we argue about healthcare and education and, you know, this is something everyone should agree we'd want to keep bad guys and drugs out of the country. Yet somehow because immigration gets hooked up in the, into this, it has to become political, has to become untouchable. I'm watching a lot of these hearings and congressional testimony, statements by members of Congress, and what I find amazing is this. When they talk about fentanyl, it's okay to talk about China. The Senate Government Reform Committee put out a whole, um, you know, uh, 150 page report on fentanyl in China. And now some of it does come from China, but what they never mention is that half of it comes from Mexico. A lot of the stuff from China first goes to Mexico. And then even the stuff that gets shipped directly, it's distributed, but, you know, it needs distributors. It's the Mexican cartel. And what I found astounding was to the extent Ron DeSantis in a different committee hearing tried to press one of these people on it, and she's and you know she said China, and then she said Canada, but wouldn't mention the word Mexico, and it it just scares me that it goes it runs that deep that we're willing to obfuscate the real problem in order not to implicate the open border agenda. Well, because if you say Mexico, somehow just by just by naming the country, you're racist. Yeah, I don't know how that works. I really don't. But just by saying the country Mexico, you're now racist. You're against Latinos. And that's just not true. You look at um, Lynch's opening, uh, ranking member Lynch's opening remarks, and of course he's a Democrat. Did he talk anything about border security whatsoever? He did not mention anything about border security. All he talked about was asylum and these poor people and the conditions of the country that they're in. Instead of saying, yes, let's take care of these true asylum seekers, but we also need border security, he politicized the issue. DeSantis didn't politicize the issue. He was very straightforward saying, we need border security. That's what we need. Wasn't talking about asylum seekers, wasn't talking about race, wasn't talking about people from from just Mexico. He's talking about people from from around the world and saying we need to secure the border. That is not a racist issue. We arrest people from all over the world. I have personally arrested people from Russia. I've arrested people from Poland. I've arrested people from China. I've arrested people from Brazil. I've arrested people from all over the world. And I have also arrested people from Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, El Salvador. Um, but just because I arrest these people from these countries doesn't mean that I'm racist. It means that I believe in the rule of law. It means that I believe that, with, that when we follow the laws, our citizens are protected and we don't have thousands of people dying um, 
because of opioids per year. And, and also ten, tens of thousands and over a decade, hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of Mexicans that die. We just focus on the ones that come over, but what about the ones on the other side? Uh, th- those are the real victims. Um, you mentioned other countries. You know, since the breakout of all the civil wars in the Middle East, again, circa 2010 to 2013, um, Europe has been flooded with asylees. And, you know, most Americans think, well, you know, we got oceans. So, you know, we got refugees where we take in from their countries. We do it agreeably. We we, we take the initiative. And there's a, a lot of debate over that. Uh, but, you know, we don't have people showing up. We just have the Central American and Mexican issue, but not from the Middle East. Are, are you seeing an uptick over the last few years of people being smuggled in from the Middle East to Central America and then coming over the border. Yeah, so again, what you see is you see these criminal cartels that they use the quote-unquote asylum seekers as pawns, and they force them to cross the border illegally, um, drain our resources, and then they cross their higher-profit um, um, people, drugs, or anything like that, which includes people, what we call from special interest countries. And those special interest countries are from the Middle East or any country that has proposed to do this country harm. They, they run them right behind the gas that they create. Again, this is a border security issue, which then becomes a national security issue, an economic security issue, and a national sovereignty issue. Those three things is something that every single American, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, um, whatever party you are, every single United States citizen should be in favor of border security because that's how we keep our country safe. Do you have faith in the current leadership of Border Patrol? No, I do not. Uh, and, And simply because of what we're currently seeing as far as, again, going back to the kingdom building. These people care about their careers more than they care about the the American public. And until we pass laws that allow us to say your careers will be based upon merit, it will be based upon what you've accomplished instead of just because you've sat it, you've kept the seat warm for a long time. Until that changes, we're going to continue to have people that are going to be able to skate by and continue to promote up the ladder uh, without having accomplished anything in their career. So, so are you saying that both um, just in terms of mission accomplishment and downstream but connected morale of the agents, things haven't improved that much with the new administration? No, it, it, it improved exponentially mm. initially. But because there hasn't been a whole lot of change since that time, yeah, the morale is going to shoot right back down into the wow. into the dumps. Uh, but but I do I'm not I I will not at this point give up on President Trump. I do believe that he is working to make the changes that are necessary. He's spoken out against career employees. He's spoken out um, that we need to be able to get rid of career employees easier than what we've done, um, these career managers. And, and I do believe that he is trying to get it done. The problem is he just doesn't have the support of his own party to get these things done. And that's where your listeners come into play. Your listeners, if they're flooding their congressmen, um, with calls, they're flooding their inbox with emails. If they do that, they uh, these these politicians who again only care about their reelection will in fact get behind this president and will will get a lot more done. 
Wow. No, that's that, that that's very powerful. I mean, unfortunately, we're seeing this gap where the president is saying a lot of this stuff, but then, you know, it seems like a lot of it is not really fulfilled. Um, I know we're running out of time here and I don't want to hold you for too long. Uh, just, just one or two more things. The... There is this push to hire more agents with the more funding, with the increased funding. And are you concerned? I've read a little bit about lowering standards, getting rid of the polygraph test. Are you concerned about lowering standards like we see in some branches of the military? No, no, they're they're not talking about getting rid of the polygraph and the border patrol at all. In fact, the polygraph and the border patrol is here to stay. Um, what we've discussed is this polygraph is being administered incorrectly. When we're failing 75% of our applicants, something's mm-hmm. wrong. The Generally, the, the failure rate in uniform law enforcement is somewhere around 30% on the polygraph. We have a 75% failure rate, and that's wow. got to change because we absolutely need new agents in the field. No agent that I know of wants to work with a dirty or corrupt agent, but at the same time, no agent wants to be working out in the field without backup next to him as well. And so we have to get these agents into the field. We have to continue to use the polygraph test. It's a very good tool, but we have to do it correctly. Sure, sure. Um, and, and obviously, yeah, I mean, it, it seems like it's a problem that we're not filling the positions enough more than many other branches. And I would imagine, you know, doesn't morale have some something to do with that? It, it does. I mean, when you look at uh, Congress set a floor where we're supposed to have 21,370 agents. Now, that's the floor. That's not the ceiling. Right now, we have 19,300 agents. We're 2,000 agents below that floor. And a lot of it has to do with our agents are sick and tired of their job being politicized. Our agents are sick and tired of being called jackbooted thugs because they want to enforce the immigration and drug laws of this country. Um, and, and because of that constant pressure and that constant attack by the liberal left, we have agents that are, that are looking for other jobs because they're, they're getting sick and tired of being called a racist when they're not a racist. All they want to do is enforce the laws of the United States and keep our citizens safe. Wow. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. So, you, so you're saying basically people are retiring quicker than they're being hired. Yes, yes. We have an attrition rate. Uh, just, just as an example, last year um, we lost 900, I want to say it was 922 agents um, when we only hired 504. So we lost almost 500 more than what we hired. So, yeah, we have an attrition rate that far outpaces our hiring rate. You know, one final question I was just thinking of in the military they, at least when everything goes right, they have secure communications. I, I never understood how the cartels have such devastating accuracy, a lay of the land and the terrain in order to have these kind of, you know, like you say, uh, Ford advancing guards. They'll give you kind of, you know, children, the UACs, where they know you're, you're going to have to be occupied with them and, and kind of treat that as a humanitarian thing. And then they'll get the high value targets through whether they're Middle Easterners, whether they're drug smugglers, MS-13 gangsters. Do you, do you have any concern or experience or that you, that you could speak to um, that you feel that either the communications are, aren't secured in, in the, you know, some areas of the border patrol, that there, that there's some other problems leaking. We, we used to, we have encrypted, um, radio communications now. 
So we don't have the same problems of, of uh, the criminal cartels picking up our radio communications. But what they do is they have what's called um, observation posts inside the United States as well as Mexico. And, and they, they monitor um, when we're patrolling the border, when we're not patrolling the border, um, how often um, our agents are in a certain location, how many agents we have in certain locations. And so they use these observation posts to give themselves all of the intel that they need in order to cross their products in a certain location. Uh, again, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to know that if I cross a hundred illegal aliens at point A and it requires the border patrol to send 10 agents to that area to take into custody these hundred agents, point A is now going to be wide open because those 10 agents have now been cleared out and I'm going to cross my product right across point A where I just cleared out all those agents. It's, it's not rocket science what they're, what they're doing, but at the same time, there's just not a whole lot we can do because it takes 10 agents to deal with a group of 100 illegal border crossers. And again, without, without the technical infrastructure on our side, we just can't address this problem. So how does a border wall fit into this? Um, you know, I'm told by you know every expert, and I say that facetiously, says it won't work. And, and I just, you know, I don't know much technically, <laughs> but I know common sense. I'm thinking, well, you know, well, you, it's not like you don't have a border patrol, you still have it, but isn't that a force multiplier? I just read in Israel, not just their West Bank fence that stopped 99% of the most committed Hamas bombers, but even their southern border with the Sinai Peninsula, they had, you know, kind of a similar situation where they had from Eritrea and Sudan, um, just African migrants coming over. They stopped 99.9% of it uh, the, the year they built their 150-mile fence. Is there a reason America should be different? No, I started my career back in 1997 in El Centro, California. And I can tell you that when I first started my career, except for uh, just, just a small little stretches in Calexico, which was the urban area, um, we had no physical barriers whatsoever. And traffic came across the borders absolutely and totally unimpeded. The moment we started putting up physical barriers in that area, which, which took about 10 years, by the way, um, the moment we started putting up physical barriers in that area, traffic dropped exponentially. We were able to keep out um, the vast majority of drugs that were, that were crossing in the area at that time. We were able to control the flow of illegal immigration in certain areas. And so if we look at this right now and we say, okay, President Trump has, has advocated for a wall, um, border patrol agents are advocating for walls in strategic locations. If we put the walls in strategic locations and allow us to dictate where the crossing points are, it allows us to be a lot more successful. It increases what we call the certainty of apprehension mm. and seizure, which will then allow us to go after the bottom line of these criminal cartels. Walls absolutely 100% work, and we need them. Wow. No, I mean, that's very clear. Finally, just in terms of the state of play right now, I know that back in 2014, you know, the far east side of Texas was the worst spot, the Rio Grande sector. Where are the trouble spots now that you think need the wall or other resources most urgently? 
Well, the Rio Grande sector is still the focus sector. It's still, it still accounts for 35% of all crossings into the United States, illegal crossings into the United States right now. Now, I, I, we've got 21 sectors in the Border Patrol. Rio Grande Valley is one sector, and it, and it has a total of 35%. The second one is is we're going to go right back to the hot spot of the of the um, 1990s and 2000s. That's Tucson, Arizona, um, which accounts for around 25 percent. So right there, that's our vast majority of, of crossings, and we have to focus on those two areas. Mm. Now, what's going to happen when we focus on those two areas? They're just going to move their operations, and, and we see Laredo, Texas, as being the next hotbed. Um, but we're as long as we're geared up and ready for that to happen and we can deploy our resources very quickly to that area, we'll be able to, uh, to address the issue when the issue pops up. Wow. I mean, that, that that's it. I mean, this is the most important thing. And, and like you said, we could fight wars halfway around the world. There's no reason why we can't uh, secure our own border. Um, gosh, I could talk to you forever, um, but I know your time is short. You're traveling back from D.C. tomorrow. Uh, thanks so much for all your time, and and please, please come back um, You know, in the future. I, I know our, our listeners are so concerned about this and uh, really enjoyed your, your company here today. Well, and Daniel, last thought, you know, I appreciate you thanking me, but in, in reality, we have to thank the people that are, that are shining the spotlight on this issue. We have to thank your listeners for, for being willing to take an interest in this. And what I would ask is for them to contact their congressman, let their congressman know that they want this, this, this fixed. And thank you again, continues to shine that spotlight on it because the more we talk about it, the better chance we have of getting it fixed. So thank you very much. There you have it, folks. That was Brandon Judd. He is the president of the Border Patrol Council, one of the few amazing unions, public sector unions in this country. And that was a real live border agent, you know, not one of these phony experts that you see on on cable news or a border wall doesn't work. That's not the way you do. You have a smart fence. Yeah, well, because the smart fences get very smart and they have prosecutorial discretion and are manipulated. Of, of course, that's why it, wor- it works for what they want it to work, which is more Democrat voters. Um, we got a lot more uh, coming next week. And make sure to listen to me on Levin's TV program, Life, Liberty, and Levin, Sunday night at 10 p.m. Next week, we're going to introduce some new advertisers. And, you know, you heard from Brandon. There's few people willing to dedicate their time to the truth. Um, I'm willing to be that person. You know, God has put me in a position where I'm lucky enough that I could just speak my mind and I could research things and meet patriotic people like Brandon and other people, let's say, in healthcare and in various fields that are trying to do what's right but need a force multiplier. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to use that platform for wherever it takes me, um, not for just, you know, self-promotion like we see so much from people that just want to make their – make their way on uh, cable news and and make their rounds. We're going to just pursue the truth, but we need you to support our advertisers. So we'll, we'll have a couple of new ones on board. Let me know what issues you want exposed, what you feel is not being exposed enough, what you feel someone needs to give voice to that is being overlooked even by conservatives. You know, there's a lot on my plate, a lot of issues. By the way, I'm so I'm so tired from working this week. I really got to get back to my wife tonight, and you're going to hear this, you know, hopefully Friday. 
Um, I, I said at the beginning of the recording, I just remember, I said it was April 19th. No, you're not losing your mind. Um, we didn't uh, skip a week in a time warp. It is indeed, um, you know, at least today, it's April 12th. You're going to hear it April April 13th, April 14th. Saturday is my birthday. Um, and what a great birthday present to be on together with Levin in his amazing Liberty Bunker. So let me know your feedback when you hear me, see me. I don't like TV too much. I get nervous. I get all flustered. So I don't know. I don't like it. But uh, let me know what you thought. Always email me at dharwitz at crtv.com or tweet me at rmconservative. Until next time, thanks for listening. God bless you all.